receipt. Wake up Springfield on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. I don't want to hear or see the Republican Party. It is terrifying. The hypocrisy is just running rampant. Because tonight is gas rationing the answer. Yep, yeah, well, Fargo, you, do you know what environmental racism is? They were wrong, and Donald Trump was right. Well, I think your listeners are some of the smartest listeners in America because they have the information that comes across your radio waves. All right, all right, all right. Well, how many lies per sentence do you say? Do you have a quota? Uh, are you a death-on-demand kind of guy, Dave? Can you, can you answer yeah, my question? Yeah, how many lies per sentence? Ooh, scary. This is Wake Up Springfield with former Speaker of the House Tim Jones, News Director Don Luzader, and Producer Cass Bowen on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Yes, there is. Good morning this morning. Good morning, my people. Good morning all across the heartland. It is Thursday, otherwise known as Friday Eve, one step closer to a Father's Day weekend here on Thursday, June the 15th, 2023, 5.36 in the a.m. Welcome into 93.3 a.m. 5.60 KWTO. I'm Tim Jones, former Speaker of your Missouri House. Welcome to Wake Up Springfield. Joined, of course, by our ex- with, by, with, she's here. Cass Bowen Anderson, our executive producer extraordinaire, and Don Luzader, our news director. I want to just say right at the outset, and I'll probably remember hopefully later on in the uh, in the show that uh, it is my daughter Katie's birthday today. Boy, we have been busy the last few. <laughs> We've had one major event after another here in the Jones home over the last many uh, many months. Daughter Katie turns 18 years old today, June 15th, 2023. And uh, we couldn't be happier with all of her success this year. She heads off to college in the fall, heading to the northern lands of Iowa, Des Moines, Drake University, the Bulldogs. Yeah, we're very excited about that as well. So yeah, another another thing to celebrate. We're about to celebrate it out. We have another we have another party this weekend. My uh, my uh, my uh, father in law, my father in law, Suzanne's father, Mike Rowan. He turned eighty a week or two ago, and so we're having a a large celebration for him. Uh, his uh, my mother in law put all this. To, my mother in law put all this together. Thank God. You know, people complain about their mother in laws. Mine's pretty darn good. She uh, she took care. We just got done doing grad parties and birthday parties and everything else parties in our home. So we're really happy that uh, that Patricia took care of this one. It was really good of her. So we're we're going we're going to a restaurant. So we don't have to. We're going to trash their place instead of trashing ours for once. So I love that. You show up. You eat, you drink, you be merry, you pay the bill, you go home, you get the heck out of there. So we're looking forward to that as well. Hope you all are having a great week as well. <clears throat> it's been a very busy week, and we've got lots to get to today. Tim's top three, part one, two, and three, will wow and amaze you at 6.05, 7.05, and 8.05. The all-important AccuWeather update at 6.15. Jeff from AccuWeather joining us. Just after 6.15, around 6.20 or so, deliver us the weather this morning. John Malcolm in for the intrepid Zach Smith today. John Malcolm's a great guy. He's the vice president at the Heritage Institute for Constitutional Government at the Heritage Foundation. I know John very well. He's kind of the leader of the pack over there 
and he doesn't get the chance to do as much radio as he used to do back in the day, but we're really uh, happy to welcome him in, in here with, with us today to talk about Biden, Burisma bribery schemes, to talk about the Trump indictment and arraignment and whether there's any beef in there. I want to ask John whether my theory of the case on this is something that will be relevant or not, or what does he think about whether or not the Presidential Records Act will, maybe pun intended, trump this entire latest attempt to take President Trump down as the walls are closing in on Joe Biden. Dakota Wood, our international man of mystery, national security, joining us at 715, senior research fellow for defense programs at the Heritage Foundation. And in a uh, in an ongoing effort to bring you all the people and the news that you need to know regarding 2024 so you can eventually be prepared to go to the ballot box, I would argue, most importantly, for Missouri in August, because that is when we're going to determine who are the right Republicans to win in November, because they all pretty much will. Democrats are ballot fillers these days, despite what they yell and scream and primp and preen about on social media. The, the elections, the rubber meets the road here in Missouri now in August. So that's when we need to make sure that we're electing the right Republicans. And you can determine that for yourselves. I'm, I, you know, I don't, except where it's really obvious, I usually withhold my judgment because I don't want to unnecessarily, you know, I, I want to persuade you all, but if there are multiple good Republicans in a race, just because I'm more or less friends with them or not, you know, I want you to make the decision. And the Secretary of State's race here in Missouri is a perfect example of that. I am very good friends with the current entrance in the race, and that would be our own Green County Clerk, Shane Scholler, and the new entrant in the race, who entered the race last week, Missouri State Senator Denny Hoskins. They're both good guys. They're both conservatives. They're both going to take a, a different tact, I think, to the race. And so you can decide for your own who you want to uh, who you want to choose next August in the primary. We're going to have Missouri State Senator Denny Hoskins on at 745. He hails from just um, just north of us, uh, Warrensburg area. Um, and finally, Don, we've got an interesting guest coming in studio about an interesting topic involving us, involving our radio station. At 815, we're going to welcome Haley Frizzle-Green, archivist for the Missouri State Historical Society, to discuss, a, I believe, an ongoing exhibit over at Missouri State University. Don, is that correct? Yes, and uh, it's something that... Uh specifically has kwto involved in it and you know we've talked a lot on this program about the history of kwto and and you know how it dates back to 1933 and uh, how we used to have live bands you know music performed on the station and uh, we were like hee-haw we were yes we were <laughs> hee-haw before he was on television and uh so this is going to be a really cool exhibit over at missouri state uh haley is actually with the state historical society of missouri at the uh, Springfield Research Center, and she's going to be telling us all about this exhibit, uh, when it's going to be, and how you can check it out, and uh, and how it applies to to local radio here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, indeed. So that's going to be an interesting discussion as well. Don, something we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on is discussing the St. Louis Cardinals because they just continue to lose. So there's nothing much to report there. They were one strike away from winning yesterday. Tim. I heard. What yeah. a heartbreaker! Uh, two run lead in the ninth, and uh, they gave up a two run homer to tie the game as the Giants were down to their last strike. And then the Giants scored three in the 10th inning to win it. And to sweep the series, the Cardinals are now a season-low 15 games under 500. 15 games yeah. below 500. Wow. 
pretty bad. Unfortunately, Don, the Kansas City Royals aren't very much better, are they? Nope. Uh, they have the worst record in Major League Baseball. They uh, lose to the Cincinnati Reds, and uh, their losing streak is, uh, I want to say they've lost nine in a row now. Ugh. Well, not much going on in Missouri baseball land. Well, if you've got tickets to games this summer, folks, you know what? Just take the kids, take the family, take the friends, enjoy the ballpark, and maybe don't pay attention to what's going on much on the field. So there, well, you might be able to, it. you know, move up and sit close. Yes. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. There may be some really good box seats available at both those ballparks as we get later in the summer, that's for sure. Don, the thing that I'm looking forward to this morning, and uh, we'll keep an eye on this because I think they'll tee off before we get off the air this morning out in La La Land. Yeah. The first tee shot, Don, will ensue around, I think, 8.30, 8.45 this morning of the U.S. Open played out in Los Angeles. I think for the first time, maybe, Don, in my lifetime, maybe yours, I think it's the first time it's been in L in the L.A. region in forever, they, yeah. they said the other day. Pretty so uh Pretty historic. So um, I just now saw a headline on PGATour.com that says, expect the unexpected at this U.S. Open. So I'm curious to know what they're referring to. There's a drivable par four, uh, number six on the north course. I think this is one of these country clubs that has two 18-hole courses so they can move the players a little quicker. It's old-school golf course, but uh, that'll be a lot of fun to watch to see what the strategies are related to that. So for those of you interested in the – golf world we'll talk to you about that a little bit later in the morning for those of you who are not well tough it's the u.s open you're going to deal with it today it's been more than it's been more than 80 years tim since professionals have competed on this course that is really amazing they must have had to really tune that up and trick that out oh yeah hey adam schiff survived a censure motion as 20 republicans what joined dems to table the motion i don't know if this is the ongoing effort by the House Freedom Caucus to try to uh, push back on Kevin McCarthy. But I'm telling you, man, when it comes to Adam Schiff, you all should have been voting yes on a censure motion after everything that guy dragged us through. So I'm going to have to check out the story on that and deliver you the details. Meanwhile, Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg in much more deep water than he already is. As bridges are collapsing, people are wondering why Pete Buttigieg is running around the planet in uh, uh, courtesy of you his taxpayer-funded private jet trips are getting a lot of scrutiny. As what's not getting much scrutiny is what's going on with the Biden Burisma scandal. You know, look, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna relay to you. I, I talked a little bit about the Clinton audio files uh, sock drawer matter. I, I I remembered that you know that was that was in the mid 2000s, like 2010, 2012. You know what? My goodness, 11 years ago now. So I had forgotten a lot of the details on that. When I read the analysis of that case, I questioned whether or not that's going to be that that's what this current case against Trump's going to turn on. Because, see, what's good for the goose is never good for the gander in Democrat world. And back then, the Democrats and the left and Obama appointed judges happily, happily, giddily use the Presidential Records Act to defend Bill Clinton. Well, of course, now they don't want to act like that even exists for Donald Trump. So the Presidential Records Act was utilized to shield Bill Clinton from any sort of liability, blame, or charge, or accusation regarding the audio files that he had created while he was in the White House and took with him regarding high-level international confidential information. But of course, when we have almost the same situation involving Trump, yeah, folks, there's not many differences. There, There are differences without distinctions. Or their distinctions without differences. All right. However, you want to phrase it. 
They now don't want. Now they're acting like the Presidential Records Act never existed. So well, documents go, are documents, whether they're by the right. way, whether they're do, whether they're on a piece of paper or whether they're on uh, an audio file, they're still documents. Right, Don. It's the. It doesn't matter the medium. It matters what the subject matter is. Right, Don. Right. Just because just because Bill Clinton read high level international security issues into tape doesn't mean that that suddenly becomes just his personal property and not presidential records anymore. It's the subject matter of what he put on those tapes, which many say is very similar to the subject matter of what's in the Trump documents. So there you go. Cass, who do we have for our national anthem today? We have Miss Jewel. Fantastic. Folks, let's begin this morning as we begin every morning here at 93.3 AM 560 KWTO in the land of the free because of the brave with our national anthem. But so proudly we hang at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the we watched was so gallantly streaming and rockets right here bones bursting in air proof through the night that our flag was still there Across America with Jimmy Fela. Join me weeknights from 9 to midnight on KWTO. You're listening to Wake Up Springfield with former Speaker of the House Tim Jones, News Director Don Luzader, and Producer Cass Bowen Anderson on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. I don't have faith in the DOJ or the FBI anymore, and that makes me sad to say as a member of Oversight, because of what I'm seeing and how they're conducting these investigations. Yeah, who does? And isn't that a shame? And you know what? You almost wonder, you know, the left does nothing by accident, right? Because how do we know that? Well, for 100 years, they've been incrementally trying to shape, change, and mold this country into their own image. And it has nothing to do with our foundational principles of freedom and liberty. It began in 1913 when Woodrow Wilson, one of the worst, most racist, of course, Democratic presidents ever served, and he instituted the first ever federal income tax. Folks, this country existed extremely finely for, well, okay, someone's going to say, ah, oh, yeah, but we had a civil war. Okay, well, you know, economically, 
that was we after we recovered from the Civil War, we did extremely well heading into the industrial age. And it was because of the wealth the country was created that Woodrow Wilson wanted more of that for government. The country did just fine from before 1776, right? We had the colonies and so on and so forth, if you know your history. 1776 to 1913, this country existed rather well, thank you very much, without any federal income tax at all. And you know what else happened throughout those first 100 plus years? The federal government was much more constrained and much smaller. And then people who wanted a larger, we, we have had, we have had an epic debate in this country since before it began regarding the size and scope and the centralization of the federal government in our country. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the conversations and the writings between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. And if, 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 if you're, if you're scared to death that you'll just continue to fall asleep reading a dry history book, then I've got a documentary. Well, it's a drama mentary. It's a docudrama for you to watch. And that would be the HBO miniseries of John Adams within that miniseries. Okay. Yes, it is a dramatization, but it is extremely well founded in actual history because it's based on the book written by um ah I uh, can't think of his name right now uh it's the guy who's written all the history books about the presidents uh David McCullough okay it's 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 the mini series the HBO mini series is directly based on the 2001 biography that David McCullough wrote David McCullough is an incredible historian so. During that miniseries, there are I, I love that miniseries, by the way, because it's it's really well done. It doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't whitewash anything. It shows the good, the bad and the ugly of the beginning days of our republic. And there are some excellent conversations. That's you know, the, the action. There's a lot of action. Of course, there's a lot of blood and warfare and all that kind of stuff. Uh, to keep everybody interested, but there's also a lot of great moments of conversation between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, between Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, John, you know, all the founding fathers. And when you listen to that, they were having this debate back then. Isn't that amazing that we're still having now? Now, I worry about whether we're losing it. And back then they were just kind of having the query between each other. How big should the federal government become? And John Adams was not a leftist. He wasn't a Marxist, but he was a guy. And I like, I like John Adams a lot, but he was a guy who definitely believed in a larger federal government with more roles. Whereas Jefferson, I've always argued that Thomas Jefferson was the original Republican, much more than Abraham Lincoln, with all due respect. Thomas Jefferson was the original states' rights guy. I can just hear the liberals now. Of course, you like Jefferson. He had slaves. He was a slave owner. You know, a different story for a different time. Jefferson was a man of his, uh, Jefferson was a man of his times and he hated slavery. And little known fact, he tried to outlaw slavery in the original foundational documents of the country, Declaration of uh, Independence. And it was Ben Franklin, the Northern progressive, the Yankee, who talked him out of it. 
There's a famous scene in the play, 1776, where they have that conversation. And Franklin says, Thomas, I know what you're trying to do. We can't do this at this point. We can only fight one revolution at a time. We will get to the, the country will get to this later. And, and, and Franklin knew we'd probably fight a civil war over this. He, he was kind of, he kind of prophesied that, but it was the northerner, the non-slave owner, the progressive. Franklin was definitely a progressive. Another good guy, not a leftist, but a progressive, uh, who knew that we couldn't fight that battle then. Know your history, folks. It's how we got to where we are today. It's why the, the left wants to continue to whitewash and destroy it. We'll be back with Tim's top three, the AccuWeather update, and John Malcolm of the Heritage Foundation next, 93.3 AM 560 KWGO. If given the choice between financial stress or peace of mind, I will always choose peace of mind. That is why I've secured gold and silver from the Oxford Gold Group. Having precious metals in your home safe or in your 401k or IRA should be considered your investment strategy. Simply put, it's a portfolio protection plan. One app, one call, and you pick your precious metals. That's it. You now own real precious metals just like I do. Call 833-404-GOLD. That's 833-404-GOLD. This is Joe Cordell of Cordell & Cordell. Men, you fought hard for the role that you play in your children's lives. This Father's Day, Cordell & Cordell celebrates you the entire month of June. Join us every Friday for our live webinar series, Father's Fridays. There you will receive much useful information from our panel of speakers. To register, go to CordellCordell.com slash Father's Father's Day. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision. Joe Biden doesn't have a plan. 933 and AM 560. KWTO. It's time for Team's Top 3. Ha ha! Tiny Timmy! Away! One! It's getting hot in here. Yeah, it's getting hot in here. And, Didi, that's right, folks. The uh, Missouri primaries are heating up heading into 2024. I've got your entire scorecard as it currently stands. Another entrant into the race was last week when Missouri State Senator Denny Hoskins of the Conservative Caucus in the Missouri State Senate decided to enter the race for Secretary of State against the current person who had already announced, Shane Scholler, Greene County Clerk. Right now it's a two-person race. Could more jump into the pond? I think yes. How about we do number two? How is it that Donald Trump is accused of one crime as to the Mar-a-Lago documents and then charged with another? What am I talking about? Well, remember how... See, this is the problem if all of you liberals just watch MSNBC, NBC, CBS... Ah, the Today Show, The View, because it's not news. None of it's news. It's crap. It's it's the narrative business. It's the leftist narrative business. But you know what? Maybe they did get one thing right, but they've changed their minds already. So after the Mar-a-Lago raid, of course, the media, as they do every single time Donald Trump passes gas and someone smells it, he's automatically guilty and he should be hanged in the public square. Well, remember after the Mar-a-Lago invasion, it was mishandling classified documents. That's really not what they charged him with. They didn't charge him with any. The Presidential Records Act, which should be determining the outcome of this latest matter against Donald Trump, isn't mentioned in the 42-some-odd page indictment. What? Yeah, they charged him with the Espionage Act of 1917, which I don't think has been used since then. It's ridiculous. He's charged of one. 
He's accused of one crime for the last 10 months, and then he's charged with another. Stop getting your news from the lamestream, leftist, narrative-driven, corrupt corporate captured media and get it here. Literally. In a related story. Literally. Literally. (laughs) That's true. In a related story, how about we do number three? All of that being said, Donald J. Trump in his quest to become the presidential candidate for 2024 has raised a whopping $6.6 million in the last few days. Oh, the leftists fail once again. Yes. And that's Tim's top three. Part Uno for a Thursday, January 15, 2023, 6:10 a.m. in the Heartland. Io Silver, away! Don't ever do that again. Sorry. I'm as much of a linguist as uh, Jill Biden. Do you hear what I did there? Numero uno. Numero uno. Breakfast tacos. You kind of sound like a. Tacos. You kind of sound like a Russian Hispanic. <laughs> I've never been great at accents, <laughs> but I try my best. <laughs> I know one thing. That's definitely racist. Yeah. Let's go to the Bodega and get some breakfast tacos. Can racist. <laughs> racist. 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 Oh, speaking of Tucker Carlson, my fellow white supremacist racist, um, you like how we just kind of laugh about this stuff now? Like, like it doesn't bother us that like people, you know why? The left has done this. See, words have no meaning anymore. Thank you, left-wing lunatic. So, you can call me a racist all you want. Everybody knows you're not serious because you leftists don't mean anything you say. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. What was I going to tell you about Tucker Carlson? Oh, his uh, his third episode that we played a big chunk from yesterday as to his as to his um, his position as to why the deep state is so dead set on destroying Donald Trump. Well, it's because he was dead set on destroying the military industrial complex that has greatly enriched Washington, D.C. I asked you the question yesterday, and no one pushed back on this because there's no argument back to it. Why is Washington, D.C. home to some of the most expensive zip codes in the country? Why is it so fancy? Why is the seat of, why is government, the seat of government bureaucracy, right? Government bureaucrats aren't supposed to be multimillionaires, right? Well, they all are in and around Washington, D.C. It's because they eventually leave the bureaucracy or or they do what Tony Fauci did and they just double dip while they're there. Why is Tony Fauci one of the biggest bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., right? I think he's one of the longest serving. He's definitely the high, highest paid. But even with his paycheck, he, he, he gets paid on the front end more than the president. Tony Fauci's salary but he did finally retire, didn't he? I think he did. Yeah, is a pro- was approaching half a million dollars. Now, that's a lot of money. But in Washington D.C., that can get gobbled up really fast, especially if you buy a McMansion in like McLean, Virginia, or one of those fancy zip codes. Okay. That being said, Tony Fauci's a multimillionaire, not because of his nearly half a million dollar salary. It's because of everything he did on the side and in the back rooms, and you know, with the with the grant fundings and the the speaking engagement fees and the book writing and all that other stuff, right? That's how he became a multimillionaire. How is it that there's so many multimillionaire Fauci's running around a place that's supposed to be the seat of government and government bureaucrats on government paychecks? It's because they either do what Tony Fauci did and enrich themselves in office or they enrich themselves out of office through the military industrial, medical industrial pharmaceutical, industrial, you name it, industrial complex. 
DC doesn't make anything. It makes wars, you know, it makes problems, and then it pays people tons of money to, quote, fix them. How's that war on poverty going? Shouldn't we have won that by now? After the billions, well, billions, isn't that quaint? After the trillions of dollars that we've spent over the last, I don't know, when we did, when, when did we declare the war on poverty? I think the Democrats did that. See, that wasn't a promise. That was a campaign proposal, right? The war on poverty, the war on poverty was not a promise by Democrats to defeat poverty in this country. It was a campaign promise to pretend that they would try until the end of time. The cows have already come home and we're still waging the war on poverty, right? It hasn't been won. Go, have you been to a, you know, shoot, don't even go to an, go to downtown Springfield. Walk around downtown Springfield and tell me that we've won the war on poverty. No, we're still spending trillions to fight it. As urban areas like Springfield, and look, I hate to say this, you know, back as cities, I, I've talked, I've said this before, as cities become larger and more urbanized, you know what happens? They all start to look like each other. And for anybody who thinks that Springfield, Missouri will not eventually look like St. Louis or Kansas City, then you're just kidding yourself because our political leadership here isn't any better than the failed political leadership they've got there. One of my good friends the other uh, last night asked me, why aren't we crushing it here in the heartland? I gave him three good reasons why. Maybe that'll be Tim's top three, uh, part two at 705. I think that's a good, I think it's a good thing. I said, look, there's a million reasons. I gave him the three top ones and then we talked it out. Good guy. He's, 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 he's a right thinking guy. He had a legitimate question and I, it took, kind of took me back. I'm like, yeah, Joe, why? This is uh, not listener Joe's. And I, I got a lot of friends named Joe. Hey, Joe. Uh, Joe asked me a good question. I'm going to answer that at 7.05. In the meantime, we got the AccuWeather update. Don and I are going to talk to Jeff from AccuWeather about what we can expect as we head towards the Father's Day weekend. All of that now and next after Don Luzader's traffic report you need to know here at 93.3 AM 560. KWTO. Traffic from the KWTO Traffic Center. No crashes showing up on the board to start the morning, so that's good news. Uh, Also, the Cedar County Route AA Bridge over South Fork Turkey Creek Southwest of Humansville will be closed for up to 120 days. That begins next week, week of June 19th. Uh, MoDOT says contractor crews will be replacing the current bridge with a new structure. So all lanes of Highway AA. 9 to 11 weekday mornings. That's really where they want to go. On 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. You're listening to Wake Up Springfield with former Speaker of the House Tim Jones, News Director Don Luzader, and Producer Cass Bowen Anderson on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Nice throw. No, it's not snowing, but it is cool this morning, 58 degrees, as Jeff from AccuWeather joins us. And it's one of those uh, comfortable mornings when you walk out the door, Jeff. Jeff, are you with us? Okay. No, Jeff? No, Jeff. Okay. So, 58 degrees, out the door, 
sunshine today with a high of 87 degrees. And then uh, tonight we'll see some clouds coming in with a low of 65. Okay, Jeff, we were just talking about how nice and cool it is this morning. 58 degrees out the door. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's pretty comfortable weather. I enjoy waking up uh, mornings like this. But then it warms up during the day. It's nice. We don't have a ton of humidity. Are we going to continue that pattern at all today? We will continue that pattern, yes. It's going to be a great day with temperatures right around the average of 85. We'll be at 86. I'll give you one degree more. <laughs> Thank you. appreciate that. All right. And then yeah. uh, any rain coming in tonight? Uh, no rain tonight. Uh, we do have some rain starting to uh, knock on the door as we go into tomorrow, though. Uh, this is due to uh, kind of what's left over from what's going to happen today in, uh, let's see, the uh, panhandle of Oklahoma and actually western Oklahoma. And then that's going to bring some energy over southwestern Missouri. So we'll, we'll see some showers and a couple of rumbles of thunder for tomorrow. Uh, mainly in the afternoon, the high dips down a little bit as a result to 83. And then Saturday, it's cloudy with another round of showers and thunderstorms. During the day, not too bad. It's more in the overnight where we could see uh, some destructive winds and even flash flooding. So we'll be keeping a very close eye on that. Uh, the high does go up to 88. Okay, and that is uh, Saturday, correct? Saturday. Yes. So tomorrow you do not see a big severe weather threat coming in? No. I mean, like I said, it's going to be more or less from what's left of, you know, the the system that goes across Oklahoma. And uh, what we're going to see is we're going to see some rain, right? We're going to have a good good drink, about a quarter of an inch or so. And uh, there is going to be some rumbles of thunder. But then Saturday into uh, Sunday, that's when it's going to be, you know, potentially on the stronger side and also heavy rain. By the time that's all said and done, we're looking at about an inch and a half of rain. Gotcha. And then uh, during the day Sunday, will those showers persist with us? During the day, it looks like they're going to taper off. It looks like we'll be uh, looking at a nice afternoon, uh, you know, with uh, just a couple clouds. Okay, that's not too bad. And then as we head into a new week next week, uh, you know, as we get closer and closer here to the first day of summer, what are we looking at and are we going to have an increase in temperatures? Well, as we go into your next work week, yes, the temperatures are going to go up, but the conditions are going to be nice. So we're going to uh, see sunshine both Monday and Tuesday, a couple of clouds by Tuesday. We'll be at uh, the mid to upper 80s. And then on Wednesday, we're talking 90s. Wow. Uh, and then uh, when, you know, when the humidity comes, it just seems to stay with us. How close do you think we are to uh, having that humid summer that we all expect? <laughs> How close indeed. Well, let me take a look here and see if I can get us beyond. Yeah. So the average dew points uh, for the next couple of days. Today, not too bad. And the average being in the low 60s. Uh, we look at mid-60s tomorrow, so it's a little on the sticky side, but we're still not knocking on the door of 70s yet. That's okay. when it's really like that, sure. you know, tropical air. Uh, by the weekend, we're in the mid-60s, uh, almost upper is kind of what we're looking at for Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and these are, again, dew points that we're talking about, which is Correct. definitely the number one thing you look at when you're trying to figure out how humid it's going to be. But overall, it's not been too bad of a June, Jeff. No, really, it's been pretty nice. I mean, if you take a look at, you know, the temperature trend and where we are for rain, it has been dry. That's one thing that's not the greatest. We do want to see, you know, a little bit more rain than what we currently have. But temperature-wise, we've been sitting right around average. 
Very good. Jeff, uh, another great forecast. We appreciate it, and we'll check in with you tomorrow to see if there's any changes as we uh, get closer to the weekend. Sounds good to me. All right. That's a winner from Jeff from AccuWeather. Timmy's been delivering uh, very like nice it. forecasts lately. Very proud of Jeff. Yes, yes, we are, indeedy. Yeah, it looks like a nice weekend ahead in general. And they're going to have a nice weekend out in Los Angeles. Don, I was checking things out there as you yeah. were talking to Jeff. And What are we looking at? The weather out in L.A. is usually spectacular. It's a shame that, you know, California is such a mess. But <clears throat> I've got three things to know <clears throat> about the course that they haven't played, what, Don, in, what did you say, 80, 80 years? 80 years, yeah. Yeah, 80 years since any type of uh, – of major uh, has been, or any type of, you know, major. Pro golf, they, they period. Use, yeah, they yeah. use this, they use this course a lot for amateur events and pro-ams, but not for, for, for professional events. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the three big things to know, according to usopen.com, local knowledge, right? Because, because most of the pros will have never played this course. There are a few who have. The ninth trio of golfers off the first tee on Thursday. So that'll mm -hmm. be 8-13, It'll be 10-13 our time. Okay. We'll garner plenty of attention because there's a pair of L.A. area standouts that we know very well, accompanied by the world's number one player. Two-time major champion Colin Marikawa hails from nearby La Canada Flint Ridge, and he and Scotty Scheffler both played for the USA team in the Walker Cup, which ah. was at this course mm -hmm. recently. Gotcha. With Morikawa going 4-0 and in his matches on this course. So he knows this course very well. Sounds like it. Fellow local Max Homa from Valencia mm -hmm. owns the North Course scoring record. Check this out, Don. A 9-under par 61 wow. in the 2013 Pac-12 championship when he played for UCAL Berkeley. Um, so you've got three guys in the ninth pairing heading out around 10, 15. So if you're into golf, if you're into the U S open, if you're into father's day weekend, you might want to check out how those three do when they tee off at 10, 15 central time, the fairways, number two, the fairways. Um, so this is an old course, right? So, uh, let me try to, let me try to compare it to something here in Springfield. So Don, the old, what's the old, I've played it several times. Uh, <clears throat> there's an old course kind of in the middle of town in Springfield. It's been around a long time. Uh, do you know the name of what I'm trying to think of here? Uh, oh my goodness. Let's see. <laughs> it's got big, huge oak trees. <clears throat> um, Hickory Hills. Hickory, Hickory Hills. Hills. Yes. I've been to that country club many times. So Hickory Hills, old school golf course, right? So think that type of course. Back in the day, back in the you know late 1800s, early 1900s, when they didn't have earth moving equipment, um, golf, uh, golf designers and architects had to be a little more creative. They had to find spots where the land was already fashioned into something interesting due to Mother Nature. There's a ton of those courses in the St. Louis region, uh, Glen Echo is probably one of the most famous ones. Normandy, Norwood Hills, uh, Hickory Hills. There's a course in Jefferson, well, Jefferson City Country Club. Jefferson City Country Club, if any of you have been up to the Capitol or out in that area, very similar. Rolling hills, wide fairways, big oak trees. So the, the, the U.S. Open, the PGA sometimes is critical of wider fairways. So they try to, they try to pinch them in. Well, the, the players say, you know, uh, like, like I like the quote here from um, uh, John Rahm, 
who said, you know, the fairways are deceptively wide. They're not as wide as you might think. So let's pay attention to how many people actually hit fairways versus not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, one of the best players in the world, said that uh, he thinks the course is going to play much more narrow than they appear. When you get fairways that are very firm, any sort of curve you put on the ball uh, makes it play so much faller, smaller. And finally, Don, as I mentioned earlier, the, the big swings are going to be – this is going to be a fun tournament because uh, there's, a, there's a reachable – at least one reachable par 5 off the tee, and they say most – I'm sorry, one reachable par 4 off the tee, and several of the par fives are gettable on the second shot as well. So, yeah, nice. It's going to be a really fun U.S. Open. Yeah, and uh, typically and historically with the U.S. Open, you don't see a lot. It's usually at a course where you don't see a lot of uh, scores that are way under par. You know, you'll see. Uh, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, yes. if you're just barely under par, it may be enough to win the tournament, and everyone else is like on the plus side. By the way, the Hickory Hills Country Club that you referred to in Springfield yes, sir. opened in 1926, so it is 97 years old. There you go. I was right. Old school course. You can tell when you play it. You know, folks, the NBA, uh, the NBA season is over for the year. The NHL season is over for the year. There's really not much reason to watch the Royals or the Cardinals right now. So Their season's pretty well. much over for the year. You might, you might as well watch some U.S. Open golf this weekend. Right. Why not? You know, it's the only thing worth watching. All right, folks, as we mentioned, 58 degrees out the door here in Springfield. Going to be a spectacular day, 86 in sunshine. When we come back, John Malcolm with the Heritage Foundation. Is there much to the Trump indictment or is it much ado about nothing? All of that now and next after Don Luzader's local news you need to know. 93.3 AM 560 KWTO. 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO News. KWTO News time is 630 in Springfield this morning. We have a cool start to the morning as we just talked about with Jeff from AccuWeather. We're at 59 degrees. We do expect some sunshine today with a high reaching 86 this afternoon. A man's dead following a, a officer-involved shooting in Dade County. The Dade County Sheriff's Office says deputies from Barton and Cedar Counties assisted Dade County deputies with a stolen vehicle investigation at a barn on West Dade 72nd Road. Deputies found the stolen vehicle in the barn along with an armed suspect. The suspect exchanged fire with law enforcement and was wounded. Law enforcement performed CPR, but that man died at the scene. An investigation is being conducted. Taney County prosecutor filing charges against the driver involved in a fatal crash near Saddlebrook Monday afternoon. 48-year-old Richard Rogers from Springfield faces charges of DWI involving death of another, DWI resulting in injury and possession of a controlled substance. The crash killed 55-year-old Sandra Puckett from Walnut Shade, who was stopped at a stop sign on Highway 176. A passenger in Puckett's SUV seriously injured. The Highway Patrol says they found a controlled substance in Rogers' truck. Also, the former police chief of Highlandville has filed a federal lawsuit against the city. Warren Hager accuses the town of violating his First Amendment rights and retaliating. There's no reason for them not to work with us on this investigation. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. You're listening to Wake Up Springfield with former Speaker of the House Tim Jones, News Director Don Luzader, and Producer Cass Bowen Anderson on 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. President Trump 
uh, has been treated unlike anybody I've known in this business. And I've been around since 1995. What they hate about him the most, he's broken through to working people. He's a threat to the left, unlike anybody since Ronald Reagan. And welcome back to 93.3 AM 560 KWTO. It is 6.36 in the AM. And as promised, we're going to now speak to our next guest. He is John Malcolm, Vice President of the Heritage Foundation's Institute for Constitutional Government. John, it's great to speak with you again. Thanks for joining us here this morning on KWTO. It's my pleasure, Tim. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So, uh, John, you and uh, your colleague, Cully Stimson, recently penned a piece that is published up at Daily Signal. I would urge people to check it out. The unprecedented indictment of Trump likely to deepen political divisions. I mean, uh, as I saw another title of this piece, uh, John, the Department of Justice has really crossed a pretty significant Rubicon here, haven't they? Oh, yeah. No question about it. Uh, unfortunately, a Rubicon had already been crossed by Alvin Bragg in New York of indicting a former president. But now for the first time, you have the federal government uh, doing it. Uh, and yes, it certainly sets a precedent. And, you know, if, if President Trump or Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott, if a Republican wins in the White House, you know, I, I assume that the Justice Department will look robustly into uh, potential crimes committed by, you know, who will then be former President Joe Biden. Uh, you know, once you once you go down this path, there's no turning back. Uh, I'm not saying that the indictment isn't, uh, isn't 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 proper, but you know, there were many different ways to handle this short of indicting a former president, but all of those were rejected, and this has now happened. You know, John, you make a great point there. And one of our one of our uh, frequent friends of this program here, who is actually running for attorney general uh, next year here in the state of Missouri, he's a former federal prosecutor, a fellow by the name of Will Scharf, and he pointed mm -hmm. out to us a couple weeks ago when we had him on before this indictment, but when it was looking like it was coming, he said, "You know, when I worked uh, as a U.S. as an assistant U.S. attorney." You know, it's, it wasn't a hard and fast law or anything, but it was simply precedent of decades and decades of pre precedent that we didn't indict people who were running for political offices right in the middle of the race because then it would look political. Well, apparently the Department of Justice doesn't care about looking political. Well, apparently, John, they do care about looking political when Hillary Clinton is involved. James Comey basically said she was guilty of the allegations of the crimes that they were investigating against her. But because she was running for president, they weren't going to do anything, and they moved on. But with Donald Trump, I guess what's good for the goose was not good for the gander. That's, that's a problem, isn't it, John? It looks like there's a two-tier system of justice. Well, I'm a former federal prosecutor, too, so I have a, a fair amount of perspective on this. There's a lot I could say in response to what you, you just said. So with respect to the two-tiered system of justice, you know, I, would, I would agree with that. I think that Hillary Clinton should have been charge the department guidelines about you know not indicting someone close to an election uh we're still that's a matter of you know it's, it's guidelines it's not hard and fast rule mm -hmm. and we are mm -hmm. of course still nearly a year and a half away from the election so i suppose one could look at that and the reason by the way hillary clinton wasn't indicted was not because it was close to the election it was actually something far worse in my opinion which is jim comey came out and said well we have no evidence that she intentionally withheld 
classified information. That is, of course, because she had destroyed the evidence and the FBI never got its hands on it. We conclude that she was grossly negligent in the handling of classified information, and no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute her for that. The Espionage Act, the same act under which President Trump has now, former President Trump has now been charged, says it is a criminal offense to, to, class up, to um, use classified information in a grossly negligent fashion. So he pretty much said she fits within the four square words of the statute, but I don't think any prosecutor would prosecute her, so we're going to drop these charges. Even though, by the way, as the FBI director, that's not his call to make. That call should have been made by Loretta Lynch. Uh, and Sally Yates, who were the head of the Justice Department uh, at the time. Uh, so, yes, uh, you know, I think that there there is a, a two-tiered system of justice at work here. The question becomes, does the fact that Hillary Clinton was not indicted mean that Donald Trump should not be indicted? That's That's a question about which people could, you know, have a debate. But as I say, there were many different ways to handle this. They chose this path, and now we have, as I said in that article, crossed the Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Speaking of John Malcolm, Vice President of the Heritage Foundation's Institute for Constitutional Government, former federal prosecutor in his own right as well. John, uh, tell us about the Espionage Act of 1917, now that you've dusted it off. Is that something that's commonly utilized, or is it being improperly utilized in this situation? I mean, we could probably say a lot of things about Donald Trump, and many of those uh, many, many of those insinuations might be true. He sometimes brings a lot of these problems on himself. But espionage, John, I think there's one thing a lot of people, Donald Trump loves his country. I think that's obvious. I don't know that right. Donald Trump was trying to commit espionage in the, in, the, in the layman's terms, but maybe in the legalistic lingo of this act, maybe there's some there there. But you tell us. Yeah, well, you've, you've exactly hit the nail on the head, which is most people hear espionage and they think Alder James, Robert Hansen, you know, these are spies. And there is, of mm-hmm. course, no evidence that Donald Trump does not love his country. And there is no evidence that he had any intent in, in holding on to these documents to turn them over to Russia or China or, you know, Iran or some country that has a bad intent towards us. But what you call a statute and the language of the statute uh, sometimes differ. And there is a provision mm-hmm. that makes it an offense within the Espionage Act to unlawfully retain classified information that deals with national defense. And that is, that is a charge within the Espionage Act, and that is what he is charged with, even though you know, no one would look at this indictment and, and think that he was a double, you know, that he was a double agent in spying right. Syria. Uh, right, this right. is not Mission but, Impossible but, here. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. John, what about the... What about the Presidential Records Act? You know, up, up until it's funny, John, I guess this is why we should never go to the national corporate media for our legal advice, right? Because for the last <laughs> 10 months, right, the la- that's why we go to the Heritage Foundation and people like you. So for the last 10 months, since the Mar-a-Lago raid, of course, the media has been trying and executing Donald Trump in the public square for what they right. called was mishandling of presidential records. Well, because they didn't know much about the law or what this in, or or what was in the mind of Jack Smith with this indictment that was coming, they suddenly had to do a 180. And now everyone's talking about espionage acts and we're not talking about the Presidential Records Act at all or about the 2012 case involving Bill Clinton. It was a civil litigation, but 
that that the Presidential Records Act featured prominently. John, will the Presidential Records Act have anything to do with this case now that it did have something to do with this case up until like three days ago? And now most of the mainstream media aren't talking about it. Well, the, the, the Clinton stuff that you're talking about, which are tapes of interviews, that was a civil matter, but it wasn't a civil matter brought by the National Archivist. It was brought by under a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit by Judicial Watch. Uh, the Presidential Records Act is going to come to play because the president is going to rely upon that as a defense and say, look, I was entitled to have these records. So the Presidential Records Act came into place after uh, President Richard Nixon and the tapes. President Nixon said, these tapes are mine. And up until mm-hmm. and through his presidency, presidents kept everything that sort of flowed across their, their desk. So the Presidential Records Act was enacted and it's been in place ever since the administration of Ronald Reagan. And what that act basically says is presidents, while they are in office, are supposed to discern which are personal records and which are presidential records. And it describes personal records as things like a diary, a journal, things that the president himself generated that were not part of the decision-making of, of other agencies or things related to political activities. He's going out to help other candidates or things related to his re-election uh, campaign. Uh, and, and the government is saying, well, it does not pertain to records created by other agencies or things that were used as part of the decision-making process for presidential actions. But now we are going to have this dispute about whether Mm -hmm. that is really Mm -hmm. what the Presidential Records Act means or whether the president has a defense by being able to say, well, hey, I thought that's what it meant, and therefore I had no willful intent. He will then still have to deal with the issue of, well, he didn't raise that issue when he got a grand jury subpoena. He took other actions that the government now alleges constituted obstruction of justice. I'm not sure how the Presidential Records Act will play into those charges, but he will certainly raise the Presidential Records Act uh, in, in response to the 31 charges that he unlawfully retained classified information that dealt with national defense. Hmm. Delightfully complicated and complex indeed, and that's why we have you join us on our programs. Yes, we do. You and everybody there at Heritage. John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Folks, I highly encourage you to check out the article that John and Cully have uh, published this week, Unprecedented Indictment of Trump Likely to Deepen Political Divisions for Sure, at the Daily Signal, dailysignal.com. John can be found at Malcolm underscore John on Twitter, heritage.org. John, thanks so much as always for joining us today. My pleasure, Tim. Good to be with you. Yeah, you too as well. All right, folks, what do you think? What do you think? Witch hunt of the highest magnitude or something that Donald Trump should be held responsible for? But if we're going to hold him responsible, then shouldn't we be? Look, shouldn't we at least be investigating? How come he's the only one that gets investigated and charged and everyone else, the media decides on the front end, no, this doesn't apply to Hillary Clinton. No, this doesn't apply to uh, Joe Biden. No, this doesn't apply to anyone else. Anyone else who's ever been in government who has retained records. And we know that Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Mike Pence, Joe Biden, they've all retained documents. Donald Trump is the only one who has documents that are worth a criminal investigation. Me thinks not. What do you think, though? 417 866 417 Join us in the conversation after Don Luzader's traffic update here at 93.3 AM 560 KWTO. Traffic from the KWTO Traffic Center. Still looking pretty good overall in the uh, Springfield metro area. No major crashes or slowdowns. Springfield Police Department 
is doing yield check enforcement at crosswalks this week. And uh, the one that they're focusing in on is Grant Avenue north of Talbot Street. There is posted signage alerting drivers that they're approaching a yield check location. And then after a warning period, officers are... Grievance instead of a culture of greatness. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. You're listening to Wake Up Springfield with former Speaker of the House Tim Jones, News Director Don Luzader, and Producer Cass Bowen Anderson on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. The Hunter Biden prosecution has been underway since December of 2020. That's nearly four years. It's inexcusable that such an uncomplicated case is still unresolved. And it's true that legacy media show zero appetite to pursue questions about possible financial entanglements between Hunter and the president. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer is currently looking at the claim of an FBI informant that the head of Burisma paid both Hunter and the then vice president five million each. The president flatly says that's malarkey. Yeah, isn't it interesting? I didn't. I wasn't able to get into that with John, but you know that, that's we we did discuss the. Uh, he, John did admit that, you know, as a former federal prosecutor, the head of uh, all the uh, the legal eagles over at the Heritage Foundation, that this is two tiers of justice here, and we didn't even get. We didn't even have a time to get into the Burisma scandal, which is right before our very eyes. Biden is on tape multiple times. Dan Bongino yesterday. I hope you heard Bongino yesterday. The seventeen audio recordings that the Ukrainian Russian asset, right, that we've been talking about all this week, the guy who was involved with Burisma, those have not come to light yet. However, there's plenty of audio tapes that are available where basically you can hear Biden talking around this issue. Bongino played several of them yesterday where, 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 where Biden had conversations with the previous Ukrainian president prior to Zelensky, and Biden's making these kind of veiled implicit comments about, hey, you know, was this, that, and the other thing taken care of? And so we can move forward. And I don't want, and these were in like late 2016 when they knew after the election and they knew Trump was coming in, Biden's on the phone late 2016, like November, December of 2016, talking about, you know, well, we, we don't, we don't, we want to make sure that Trump doesn't learn this, that, and the other thing. It's like, and then you combine that with his on-camera statement about, well, you know, son of a bitch, they changed the prosecutor after I threatened to not give them a billion dollars. Yo, you know that prosecutor that was investigating Burisma, the board on which my son sat. Then you hear about the the quid pro quo and the bribery scheme and the set. It's all right there. It's like, at, okay, at least take a look at it. They don't even want. They don't even want to admit it exists. See, they're getting their talking points from Joe. Joe Biden says nothing to see here. So the media willingly says the same exact thing. Hey, welcome back. 93.3 AM 560 KWTO, nearly 653. Yep, 653 right now here in the heartland. Got a couple callers on the line. Let's speak to Sharon this morning. Sharon, good morning to you. Welcome to KWTO. What's on your mind today? Okay, Ken, two things. First of all, the Democratic Party, the liberals are going to do everything except take out a hit on Donald Trump to get him out of the way. Second of all, second of all, everybody has put a limit on this amount of money that supposedly Biden and his son and his family grifted from Ukraine. There is much more money involved in this than $10 million. And if you don't believe me, 
then why can every time Zelensky says, I want, Biden says, you get. Mm. Zelensky mm. and other people have got Biden by the short hairs, and they're yanking them hard. That's all I got mm-hmm. to say, Tim. I think you're. I think you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely. I think you're absolutely correct, uh, Sharon. I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> I don't know where the Burisma scandal is going to go. It should go somewhere. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> I, I heard Bongino also <laughs> talking about this the other day. You know, it, somebody could show up on Capitol Hill tomorrow with like a big bag of cash and say, here's the $10 million that Joe Biden got from the Ukrainians. And Joe Biden has signed a note received. Thank you very much for giving me, uh, thank you for giving me and my, my family and I $10 million in exchange for access to the United States government, right? Like the, the, they could show up with the, the actual bag of cash I know there's no actual bag of cash, but let's say there was a bag of cash. Let's say there actually was. I'm, I'm being symbolic here, okay? They, they, they could show up, okay, they could show up with the bank statements. They could show up with the actual bank statements that show the money coming in, and they could show up with a handwritten thank you note in Joe Biden's hand that Joe Biden admits that he wrote, and it could say, Dear Ukrainian oligarchs who happen to be Russian intelligence service assets, thank you very much for the $10 million. You could do like a... um. Oh, Cass, we used to do this segment all the time. The um, thank you notes from um, uh, Jimmy. Um, what's his face? Nobody watches at night. Who is this? Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Ukrainian oligarchs who used to be Russian assets. We really or who are Russian assets. We really appreciate the $10 million that you gave my family in exchange for providing you access to the United States government and billions of dollars. You're a genius, right? They literally, they literally could show up with that on Capitol Hill and present it to Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, and Merrick Garland would go, "Meh, I'm not really that interested. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, it's probably not relevant. Yeah, that's what. And and Joe Biden has said it for you. He has said it's malarkey. So now that Joe Biden has said it's malarkey, well, then the media says it's malarkey because they're an uninterested media. They're not a media. They're not a free press. We don't have a free press in this country anymore. We have no journalistic integrity. Molly Hemingway of The Federalist, I think, summed this up really well. So uh, Stephen Nelson has the video clip of Joe Biden turning away and grinning when a New York Post reporter asked him the very question I just told you about with the Biden burisma billions, millions. Uh, President Biden turned and grinned without saying a word tonight when I asked about Chuck Grassley saying the alleged Ukrainian bribe giver claims to have tapes. So that's Stephen Nelson from the New York Post. He he put up on Twitter the video of him asking that question and Joe Biden just grinned like the Cheshire cat, knowing that he's one of the untouchables in Washington, D.C. He's on the good tier in his mind of the two tiers of justice. Molly Hemingway then responds with this great tongue in cheek tweet. If you look and listen really hard, she put it in all caps, you can detect an ever so slight difference in how the media treated the Democrat-invented Russia collusion hoax every day for years and how they're treating revelation that FBI hid news of existence of 17 tapes involving the Biden family. The only tape they ever had in the Russian collusion hoax was the fake, phony, made-up, never-existed Russian pee-pee tape that Dan Pacino, 
you know, the PP tape that they always talk about that never existed, right? We now have tapes that probably do exist. They're, people are describing them in excruciating detail, and we'll see if they come to light. Then what will the media do with it? Will they continue to whistle past the graveyard, or will the Biden criminal crime family finally be held accountable? You know, I hope so, but do not hold your breath. You will pass out 12 ways from Sunday. All right, we got to get to a break here. Tim's top three, part three. When we come back, I'm going to talk about how Missouri can be great again. 93.3 AM 560 KWTO. Springfield's home of the Dan Bongino Show. Talking to this police officer who was telling me his dad was a cop about when the Argentinian economy collapsed and it collapsed quickly. Now they were catching doctors and surgeons mugging people in the street to get money for food because it all broke down so fast. You think that can't happen here? Just like a virus can't break out here? Just like planes can't crash into two towers? Just like Russia would invade Ukraine? Dan Bongino. I don't know about you, but I'd start getting prepared today. Sounds like they 